0: Welcome back to the next episode of the Sunday Stash. And it was a bit of a wild week. Uh, not for politics, but for the stock market. And stock market something that I'm actually uh, fairly interested in. So it's uh, been pretty uh, pretty wild for me, pretty interesting, just uh, keeping tabs on it all week. So topics for today. Uh, these first three are going to go fairly quickly, I think. Uh, the first one, American Soccer Update. Um, Joe Biden's minimum wage, uh, the real Joe Biden definition of unity, and and then I want to get back into and talk about the uh, short squeeze of GameStop. So let's get into it. Uh, like I said, these first first three topics probably going to go pretty quick. Um, American soccer, uh, you know, the MLS, uh, Major League Soccer here in the U.S. is starting up. I think it's it's going to be April third, and that's after like a six week uh, preseason that they're going to end up doing. And honestly, should be a pretty good season. Uh, We haven't really had a chance to watch much here in the U.S. Uh, Obviously, uh, European soccer is usually uh, much more competitive. The better players are over there, and everything like that. But uh, still, nice to be able to see some stuff here in the United States. But aside from all of that, um, you know, one of the things that uh, is going to be kind of tough is the fact that uh, no one's allowed to go to the stadiums, and I'm not really exactly sure what's going to end up happening with that. I know that they've. Uh, one of the articles I read was uh, they were excited about the fact that it was going to be, I guess, starting in April. So it allows the opportunity for more people to get vaccinated and uh, hopefully allowing people to come to the stadiums. Because one thing that's going to end up hurting the uh, these teams is the lack of stands, the lack of uh, fans in the stands. So that's a huge revenue boost for them. And without fans, uh, they really are having a hard time um, having uh, money come in. I know for uh, my team, Valencia, they ended up having to sell a couple of players uh, to other teams in Spain. And that has really been pretty tough for for the team and and everything altogether. So um, next topic, uh, Joe Biden's minimum wage. Um, The idea going through the election was going to be that the Biden administration was going to raise the minimum wage from the current level of $7.25 an hour to $15 an hour. And I will say, that fifteen dollars an hour is not the same everywhere. Fifteen dollars an hour, um, when you, in New York or California, is not going to get you the same amount that is going to get you in, you know, some rural areas of Texas or somewhere like North Dakota. Right? It, it's just not. It's not equal. Uh, fifteen dollars an hour across the country is not equal, which is the reason why you see some places pay higher minimum wages, and other places still stick with the normal uh, federal minimum wage of seven seven twenty five. So the executive order that was signed only raised the minimum wage for federal workers and federal contractors. I think that's, that's the verbiage and stuff that they had. Um, so it's honestly, it's a big nothing burger for the vast majority of American people because most of them aren't federal workers or federal contractors. So raising the minimum wage did absolutely nothing. Now, in addition to that, the Democrats did propose a bill that would raise the minimum wage to $15,000 an hour, by 2025 and that was something that was funny that was trending this week the uh, by 2025 and realistically uh it, it's kind of in my opinion it kinda feels like a slap in the face it seems really disingenuous to set a plan that's uh, you know years out for something that you essentially got people to vote for you specifically because you know you were going to do that so i just think that that's a bit of a disingenuous uh, bill i know i know that that's the goal raising minimum wage and obviously inflation and all that kind of stuff has happened has happened over the last you know ten ten to twelve years since the last time the minimum wage was raised. But it's just a disingenuous thing to say, okay, we're going to start now, and then we're going to end up passing it years from now. We're going to end up giving you fifteen dollars an hour years from now. Obviously, raising the minimum wage from seven twenty five to fifteen. Is going to, it is, I think it's going to do harm to the economy. I mean, at the end of the day, the guy, the business owner, you know, those people are going to end up wanting to continue to make their profits. So, you know, having to pay more, having to either pay people more is either going to reduce the number of people that they have, which ends up reducing, uh, increasing the amount of work that each individual has, or they're going to end up increasing the price of things. It will affect things. I think that maybe fifteen dollars, getting up to fifteen dollars over the next five years is is that, or four years is actually not a bad idea, but it is um, it is going to be tough. I think there's going to be some un, unseen uh, effects of the economy. So then the the third topic here is the real meaning of unity. Um, so in, in, in one of the Joe Biden's addresses to the nation, uh, and it was on Monday, he took a question from uh, the press and it, it asked something about unity and everything. And at one point he said, and I'm, uh, I, I quoted this because I actually went back and, and looked at it and said, if you pass a piece of legislation that breaks down on party lines, but it gets passed, that doesn't mean there wasn't unity. It means that it wasn't bipartisan. I would prefer these things to be bipartisan because I'm trying to generate some consensus and take some of the vitriol out of all of this, end quote. Now, I guess that's what he means by unity, right? Unity within the party, not unity with the other party. And I think that that speaks volumes to everything that is going on, right? It's not unity with the Republican Party or with people that think differently than you. It's unity amongst yourselves, right? And that's essentially what he said. If you pass a piece of legislation that breaks down on party lines, but it gets passed, that means there wasn't that means that doesn't mean there wasn't unity. And what and what the way I take that is he's saying as long as we have as long as we have 51% of the vote and we're all unified, then we have unity. I could be wrong. But that's what it sounds to me as, as what's happening. And, you know, in addition to that, um, you know, unity as Americans was never the real solution to the problem. Right. And, and that kind of puts me into this other idea that, you know, unity will not ever happen as long as Joe Biden continues to use basically rule by executive order. Um, you know, and so according to CNN, Joe Biden has signed 42 executive orders since taking office. Now, he was inaugurated, I think it was the 21st. Um, So it wasn't all that long ago, or the 20th, it wasn't all that long ago that he ended up taking office. 42 executive orders, you know, and that's the reason why I call him the dictator in chief. Now, that's not to say that other um, presidents haven't used executive orders because they have. Now, what I'm going to do is I'm going to go through a list of the last uh, last eight presidents and uh, give, a, give a, a number of how many executive orders they have signed in their first week of taking office. But this is the first week. So Joe Biden did 22, Trump did four, Obama did five, Bush did zero, Clinton did two, uh, Bush, the father, did one, Reagan did zero, and Carter did one. Now, and I think that kind of tells you everything you need to know right? Joe Biden is ruling based on executive order. 22 in the first week. So now that doesn't necessarily compare to the overall of the presidency, right? So we'll start from the bottom there. Uh, Carter overall, he served four years and he did 320. Uh, Reagan, uh, he did 308. Uh, Bush, he did 166 in four years. Clinton did 364. Uh, Bush, uh, the son, he did 291. Obama did 276. That was in eight years. Trump did 220. And, um, at this pace, Biden's going to be set to do an absolute shit ton of them. So, you know, 22 and 22 in a week. Um, you know, it's just, it's a lot. So it's just something to think about as we move forward, um, with all of these, you know, the fact that, you know, Congress and the Senate, they they don't really get much done. Um, so the only choice uh, that the president has to, to live up to the vision of the country that he has made, you know, the things that he ran on, is to sign executive orders. And I think that's a bad direction that we're headed in. And just doing executive orders doesn't really promote unity, because an executive order is you signing it. It's just one side of the party making the decision as to what's happening. So it, t- it doesn't take into account anything else, you know, especially if, when you do that you trash the previous administration while doing it now i'm not blaming the biden administration or biden for doing this right at the end of the day trump was the one who came out and he basically blamed everything on obama blamed everything on the obama obama administration and you know said they essentially were the reason for all the blame you know none of this actually promotes unity within the parties or within the american people so it's just kind of in my opinion kind of telling In the fact that they have uh, used this idea of of unity and not really lived up to it. So, that's all for that one. Move on to the next topic. The GameStop saga. Now, I already know that I did a video uh, about this the other day, but I wanted to cover some, some things in a little bit more detail, and I guess maybe with a little less emotion. Um, so don't get me wrong. Uh, you know, all this stuff really still does piss me off. But uh, it's mainly the fact that the people got locked out of their accounts, uh, locked out of the trading. And it just so happened to be when Wall Street was, you know, completely getting cleaned out. And, and that's the part that really kind of drives me crazy. Like, I, I, I you know, I lost some money this week And I don't know if it has to do with this or if it's overall uh, health of the market, but um, you know, it it was definitely fun to watch everything that was going on. Um, You know, what the uh, brokerage firms did, uh, honestly, they very, very well may have been the right thing to have done. And you know, it's something to remember that uh, many of these investors don't really understand the complexities of the market and the inner workings of Wall Street. Um, So the common man, you know, to the common man, uh, it does appear to be very, very corrupt. Um, And I don't really know, I'm sure that there are a lot of things out there in Wall Street that are corrupt. And I think this is possibly pointing those things out. So I'll kind of do a recap of everything that happened. Um, So I've Two versions of this, I got the short version and a long version. Uh, So the short version is a bunch of rich hedge funds bet against GameStop thinking the business was dead. Kind of true, so they took a huge short position and told people that they had shorted it. Uh, Some guys on the internet realized that they had this huge short position and they were vulnerable to a short squeeze. So they started buying it and caused the price to increase. Uh, they told their friends, and it trended on the internet, and then people saw it, and the price skyrocketed up, and things got a little out of control. Some of the brokerage firms uh, restricted people's ability to trade, and the, which uh, ended up causing uh, even more panic and uncertainty, and it caused the price to drop. Uh, commenters, commenters didn't know what was going on. Uh, Wall Street didn't know what was going on. Most people had no, no idea what was happening. Uh, and then Friday rolls around, and the price skyrockets again, and um, again, it closed. It, it, was, it was absolutely crazy. And, you know, Friday um, we sit with a price of $325 where it started on Monday with a price of $96. So that's essentially a very short version of what happened. Um, I'll kind of get into the long version of it here. So um, basically with GameStop, it's a uh, a mall-based retailer that uh, sells video games and like video game accessories and all that kind of stuff. Um, So... The, their stock price had been redu, re, reducing and falling for a while, um, and they've been losing business to online retailers and losing a lot of business to digital downloads. Uh, honestly, I would compare them to FYE, if anybody knows what FYE is, a uh, music store. Um, obviously, they kind of had to pivot and start selling things like um, accessories and everything like that in addition to the, the music because they weren't really weren't really making any money with the music. So the business itself had been falling and reducing for a while. Way back in the middle of last year, this guy named Keith Gill, um, he's better known as Deep Value on Reddit, opened a position and did some YouTube videos on his YouTube channel called Roaring Kitty. Um, and he actually makes a fairly good uh, bull case for GameStop. In August of 2020, Ryan Cohen, he is the founder of Chewy, acquired a very large stake in GameStop, and he wanted to change the focus to digital sales, vice the physical stores. Um, Early January of 2021, Ryan Cohen joins the board, and along along with two of his friends, I guess, or or colleagues, in an effort to change the company more rapidly, Um, you know, the price movement, uh, price movement didn't technically start until the big price move. It didn't start until this past week. Um, you know, back in August, the, it was $4 a share when Ryan Cohen took his stake. And once that happened, the company, the, the price started to rise, uh, through September, October, November, and December, it rose to about $20 a share, which is a pretty good, um, pretty good investment. Then, on January 11th, it started to take traction on with Wall Street Bets. When I say traction, I'm talking about a lot more people talking about it and everything. They noticed, and they noticed that there was this huge short position. Um, the, the guy, um, Keith Gill, he'd actually noticed that there was a huge short position a while back as well and didn't understand why somebody had taken this thing. But they took this huge short position, and, it, and I'm talking massive. Uh, 140% shorted. It was the most shorted uh, stock on the market. When the volume shoots through, through the roof, um, as well as the price, and it exploded up to $40. Um, over the following three days from that, uh, the price levels off a little bit, and Citron Research actually released a video talking about how they valued the company at $20, and... Um, how they, were taking, they had taken a short position. There's also another hedge fund called Melvin Capital that had a huge short position as well. And I'll actually play a video of Andrew Left talking about his short position.
1: Hey, this is Andrew Left at Citron Research, giving you five reasons why GameStop is going to $20. Uh I've never seen such an exchange of ideas and people so angry about someone showing you the other side of a trade. And not just saying a company that let's just say is supposed to make the world a better place, uh maybe a Tesla or curity problems or COVID. This is a failing mall-based retailer. So the amount of people who are so passionate about putting GameStop higher, not based on any fundamentals, it just shows the natural state of the market right now. Or as Seth Klarman said today, a bunch of frogs in a pot of boiling water. So let's just get right to the five reasons why we believe it's going back to 20. Number one is the elephant in the room, most obvious, how people believe we are in the middle of a short squeeze. Number two, numbers don't lie. People. number three, valuations matter. This is not Tesla. This is not a company that with a blue sky. This is a retailer. You must look at valuations. Number four. Know who's on the other side of the trade, and last thing is the company can become your biggest enemy.
0: Left with uh, Citron Research, he he makes a pretty good bear case. Um, Honestly, I I also believe him. I think that the company is probably worth roughly what it's worth, uh, or I mean, roughly twenty dollars somewhere in that range. Um, You know, he's not wrong in in all of this. But what he doesn't understand is at this point, I don't think it's necessarily about fundamentals anymore, and most of the people that are buying aren't buying because of fundamentals. So he gave his five reasons. I actually, I clipped a whole bunch of the extra explanation out of there. If you want to go see that, I think he has it on uh, his Twitter account, or uh, honestly, if you just search YouTube and find uh, his actual, the full explanation of why he has uh, explained every single thing there. Um, So anyway, uh, moving forward on January 22nd, GameStop had a really high volatility um, and basically it ended up getting halted a couple of times and the buying just continued. Um, So it closed out the week um, with a share price of $65. It was up huge from just a few days prior and then they entered the weekend. Then Monday, January 25th rolls around and the buying continued and the price started to surge. Uh, Tuesday and Wednesday, the price surged completely through the roof and it was up to like 250 $300 a share. I wanna say that I saw it peak on Wednesday at like 370 or something like that. It was pretty wild. So everybody in the news, and social media, we're talking about it. Wall Street uh, bets is on Reddit, added like two two million members in one day. You know, at this point, it had completely gone viral. Uh, people were not just buying GameStop; they were buying AMC, BlackBerry, Bed Bath and Beyond, Nokia, and you know, any company that a hu- had a huge short position. Uh, their plan was to send it essentially through the roof. Uh, the more people uh, piled on, thinking that it was an easy way of making money right? And then talking more people piling on, piling on, piling on, and the price continued to rise. Come Thursday morning, multiple brokerage firms restricted the ability of people to buy the stock, and they only limited certain companies. So, uh, got a list of 13 of them here. So, American Airlines, uh, obviously they're airliner, AMC Movies, uh, BlackBerry. Uh, BlackBerry, from what I understand, does not make phones anymore. They're getting into cybersecurity now, uh, Bed Bath Beyond, obviously that's a um, another retailer. Uh, Caster Marine, which from what I could find, that's a cargo company. Um, Express, that is a clothing company. GameStop, obviously that's one, another one that got restricted. Uh, costs, they make headphones. Uh, Naked, which is a clothing company. Nokia, uh, that's the old phone producer that make uh, they used to make phones that basically you couldn't you couldn't break, um, but I think they are in five G now. Uh, Uh, Then, let's see, Sundial Growers, uh, it's a cannabis company, Uh, Tootsie Roll, obviously, candy company, and Trivago, which I think is a uh, travel, like, hotel accommodations company. Um, So, you know, the funny thing about this all is that you can even search it on Robinhood. Like, you could even, if you went on Robinhood and you went to to check it, you couldn't do it. I I have Robinhood. I don't have any, I I don't have Webull or any of these other ones, so I technically, I personally don't know. So I'm going to reference Robinhood during this. Um, and Robinhood has been the company that has gotten uh, most of the backlash because uh, so many people use Robinhood. Now, in my last video, I actually had mentioned that I use E-Trade as well, and you know, in using E-Trade, um, I was actually able to search everything. I was able to search up GameStop, I was able to search up Blackberry, uh, any all those companies, and I actually was able to buy. I didn't buy. But I was I could have if I wanted to, and obviously looking at where the stock price is now, I'm kind of kicking myself. But I had money invested in other things, and I didn't want to liquidate those positions to then buy on something honestly that was pure speculation. So, you know, it was madness throughout that day. Thursday was crazy. You had all these people that were restricted and you couldn't do anything. Um, you know, later that night, uh, Reddit forums were shut down. Um, Discord server had shut down stuff. The Wall Street bets guys, they got shut down. The Discord server for Wall Street bets got shut down. Um, you know, and then eventually they, they ended up coming back up later that night, and I think a lot of it had to do with um, their inability to moderate content. Uh, and that was the, the biggest reason that they did it. Uh, come Friday morning, the apps were open back up and they were allowing people to trade. But they were only allowing people to trade certain shares, certain numbers of shares. So it's like it was really drastically reduced with all that stuff. Now, essentially on Friday, uh, as people were able to buy again, the price skyrocketed again. And we closed out the week at $325 a share. And I think it's held somewhat stable right there in post-market trading. I want to say that I saw maybe it had gone down at most fifteen dollars a share or something like that in post-market trading so I think it's gonna stay stable um, at that point for at least the at least till Monday morning when everybody starts to go crazy again so that's essentially what had happened um, you know And now I, I kinda wanna do, do wanna get into a and in I guess a little explanation as to what short selling is and which is the thing that essentially caused this uh, so there are two ways to make money in the market uh, when stocks go up and then when stocks go down. There are also options, and options do work kind of differently, but you you know, make money if stocks go up and stocks, and stocks go down. So stocks going up is the normal way, right? So if you buy uh, a share for $100 and the price increases to $130, you make $30 if you sell it. Um, if you buy for $100 and the price decreases to $70, you lose $30 if you sell. Now, this is the normal way of making money and you essentially have unlimited gain and a limited loss. Meaning, if the price goes from $100 to $10,000 or a million dollars, you could make as much money as possible. But if the price drops from $100 to zero, the maximum amount that you can lose is zero? I mean, is a hundred dollars? Is what you put in? Now, this is the normal way that people invest. Um, over time, prices grow, and that's essentially how how this stuff goes. It's pretty simple. It's cut and dry. It makes pretty pretty much pr- makes sense to everybody. Now, the opposite of that is shorting a stock. Now, this is betting that the stock will fall to make money. You borrow a share from your broker and you sell that on the market for $100. So now you're sitting here with $100 in your hand. A few weeks go by, and the price has dropped. You are correct. And now you want to close your position. So now what you have to do is you have to buy that share back. But now, because it's $70, you take that $100, you take 70 out of that, you give it to the other person, and you you get your share, you get that share back, And you keep the difference of $30. So you have a $30 profit. The other side of this is you borrow that share from the broker and you sell that on the market for $100, as it was done in the other example. But in this case, you are wrong and the price went to $130. Now you have to close that position. And now that it's gone up to $130, you have to buy that share for $130. So you take the $100 that you got before for selling it, and then you have to add an extra $30 of your own money to then buy it back, meaning that you take a $30 loss on the deal. Now, the huge downside to this method is your gain is not unlimited as it is in the normal way of buying and selling stock. It's limited in in, in the amount that you have shorted right? So here, if it went to zero, you can only make $100. But if it shoots to the moon, you can have hundreds and thousands and millions and billions of losses. You know, people, and people typically, they don't just short one share. So when you look at these numbers, those numbers can, you know, be multiplied in the millions. Um, So you basically can lose an unlimited amount of money essentially until bankruptcy if you do it wrong so I hope that that makes sense and if you are looking for any kind of further clarification on short selling or anything like that there's definitely some videos out there on YouTube that explain it and do a really good job of actually explaining the you know using graphics and everything like that that actually make it a lot make it make a lot more sense and Realistically, there's going to be a lot of people that have videos up this week explaining short selling because there are so many people that are jumping into the market. Now, so that's short selling. Fast forward to this situation, and you have all these hedge funds that have shorted GameStop, but not this small position. It was an absolute massive position, right? And like I said, it was something like 140% uh, of the shares were shorted. And Wall Street Bets, realistically, they noticed that, and they made them pay, you know, remember that example from earlier where you lost $30 because the price went up to 130? Well, imagine that instead of going to 130 it went to 330 and then multiply that by like 90 or 100 million. Um, I think that's roughly about 140 percent of the stock and those turn out to be like 20 billion dollars in, in losses. I think 20 billion is roughly what I had heard. Um, you know and the reason this happened is because of this thing called a short squeeze and, and that's where you drive the price up and force the hedge funds or force people to essentially cover their short position, which means that they have to then go buy the shares on the market, which ends up driving the price up further and further and essentially a cascading effect to push the price higher and higher and higher. Um, so that's basically where we're at right now. You know, and you know obviously I think the question has to be asked of were the hedge funds right. You know, and honestly I think you can make the case in either direction. You know, maybe the fa- maybe the value is twenty dollars, but it's certainly not three hundred and twenty-five where we're sitting right now. Um, and many of the people, many a lot of people have talked about that and covered the fact that they don't believe that it's worth three hundred dollars. Um, if you believe that they can get into com- e-commerce, um, then maybe the price can be higher, but it's certainly not where it's sitting at right now at $325, 25 dollars. Um, so that's definitely something to pay attention to and something to know. If you look at the fundamentals, then yeah, the value is low, but that's not really the way that supply and demand works. If you want to buy, then the price goes up, you know, and at this point, it's not about fundamentals. Um, you know, Andrew left, weighs in on his ideas. Uh, I got a, um, short clip of him talking about him closing out his position.
1: So first let's answer this question. I'm just fine. Citron capital is just fine cover the majority of the short in the 90s, at a loss 100%, have a small imaginable position, and I'll let it go. Cautious investing to all. We move on. Nothing has changed with GameStop except the stock price. Certainly interesting times, and we look forward to talking to you in the future.
0: Now, Andrew Left is not incorrect with what he said. He uh, He's right. Nothing really has changed. Everything is essentially the same, but... They ended up closing their position, I guess, uh, in the 90s, and he said 100% loss. So something to be- definitely uh, pay attention to. Um, you know, in another interview, you can see Chamath Palihapitiya on CNBC talking about it, and I think I think that he gets it, but the guy that in- is interviewing him doesn't. Uh, I'm going to play another clip here. And here in this clip, pay attention to how dismissive, um, you know, Scott is to the intelligence of the Wall Street Bets people, um, you know. But in addition to that, you know, Scott is right in what he says that, you know, I, and that people aren't doing their research. Um, some people did, and enough people did the research to, to move the price up and build the momentum. But it's definitely something to, to think of.
2: First kind of content are a lot of people doing some incredible fundamental diligence on companies trying to think about long-term value. And in my opinion, many of them are doing as good and frankly, a better job than a lot of hedge fund analysts that I work with. That's number one. The second are a lot of people who believe that, you know, coming out of 2008, what happened was Wall Street took an enormous amount of risk and they left retail as the bag holder. And a lot of these kids were in grade school and high school when that happened. They lost their homes. Their parents lost their jobs. And they've always wondered, like, why did those folks get bailed out for taking enormous amounts of risk and nobody helped and showed up to help my family? And then the third thing is a realization that instead of having idea dinners or, you know, quiet, whispered conversations amongst hedge funds in the Hamptons, these kids have the courage to do it transparently in a forum and i'm not saying all of it is perfect by any means but i think it takes um an enormous amount of faith in the system to be that transparent to talk about things and then for each individual to make their own mind up and to do things whether it's to buy and to sell and i think that what it proves is this retail phenomenon is here to stay there are 2.7 million people inside of wall street bets um I think that they are as important as any hedge fund or collection of hedge funds. And I think the most important thing is that in a world of zero interest rates and quantitative easing, I don't know how you can run a typical hedge fund strategy and make money anymore because, for example, when you looked at GameStop, you know, a normal person would say, how can you have 136% short interest? How can you be short 40% more shares than actually exist in the world? To a normal person, that doesn't make any sense, but to a Wall Street mathematician, that's the game that has been played for years, and that game came undone.
3: Well, I and mean, so that, I think- that, that may be a, a that, that may be somewhat of, a, of an extreme example. Let, let me just go through a couple of things you you said here. Um, I have a hard time believing. I mean, you suggested that there's you know a good amount of fundamental research going on underneath the GameStop Reddit situation do, do you truly believe that that there's actual you fundamental know, I, research I, I, not to yeah, disparage I, in any way that the people who are actually making these you, trades you, but you this are. seems to be
2: momentum rather than no. a deep okay. fundamental analysis scott there's momentum in traditional hedge funds and how they move stocks as well but it's really disparaging if you, the starting position is these guys can't do the same quality of research as an analyst in a fund that's just not true i didn't say they that all I didn't say say they can't
3: do that kind of research. I'm questioning whether they're actually doing the research when it comes to things like GameStop and AMC and and some of these Uh, other things.
2: There's a distribution. And obviously at one end there are fundamental analysts, but on the other end there are momentum traders that follow trends. But by the way, the dirty little secret of Wall Street is that exists in hedge fund land. The reason why this GameStop trade has caused so much pain is because at the top of the pecking order, was Melvin Capital. Those guys were incredible stock pickers. They are incredible fundamental modelers of companies. Okay, Gabe Plotkin is one of the sort of giants of our era, of my era, right? But at the end of the day, what happens is, irrespective of what he puts on, his trades are mimicked and copied by umpteen other hedge funds that follow along. For every LP that can't get into Melvin they get into a copycat fund that works basically like Melbourne. And so when the trade goes against them, then it goes against all these people all at the same time. So the reality is there are fundamental momentum investors in the market that are organized capital, i.e. hedge funds, and disorganized loosely affiliated capital, i.e. Wall Street bets. And I think what you're seeing is the push and pull of that and the realization should be that if every person was forced to publish their fundamental research, it would be hard to distinguish the best version of research from Wall Street best bets and the best version of research from a hedge fund. They don't have an edge. And this is what you're exposing, is that that edge is gone. And now all of a sudden, you know, retail can be on the same footing and they don't have to be the bag holder to Wall Street. But, but let That's me let ask you this. I mean, there,
3: but, 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 but somebody from retail um, is going to eventually be the, to use your words, bag holder in this situation.
0: All right. As you can see in that clip, um, you know, Chamath, I think he gets it. Um, you know, this is I, honestly, this is one example of, you know, the news. They don't get it. And honestly, some of this is just it's that idea of the, the YOLO life. Right. You throw a thousand dollars out there and, you know, if it comes back and you made 20,000 on it, then y- good on you. Right. And that's that's the idea. All right. There's a lot of people out there that are going to end up losing a lot of money. But there are so there are also going to be a lot of people out there that make a lot of money. Now, when you go to the Wall Street Bets page, you can see that there are some really smart people there, and you know they are doing fundamental research, just as Chamath said, right? And that's one thing to understand. That's one thing the news definitely doesn't get, and that's what one thing that that guy Scott doesn't get. Um, you know, they call all of these retail investors unsophisticated a while back. A while ago, that's what that's what they were doing. Um, and yeah, some of them are. And Chamath said it. There are momentum traders. And honestly, that's it. They see the price moving. They jump in, they ride the train on the way up, and then they get out. And yeah, what's going to end up happening is the bag holder at the end of all this is going to end up being the retail investors. You know, so that's one thing to remember and to pay attention to. And, you know, the other thing about this that that guy was talking about is, yeah, when you go on there, for everybody who is doing good fundamental research, there is likely going to be probably five to ten people who are just doing shit posts. It's the Internet. There are going to be shit posts and idiots posting dumb stuff all the time. But as I said, there are some people on there doing very Good fundamental research. And honestly, in my opinion, I truly believe that there are people on this Wall Street Bets forum that are actually probably smarter and know the markets better than these hedge fund managers. They just don't have the degrees from the Ivy League schools, you know, to, and the connections to back it up to, to build themselves a hedge fund. I truly believe that there are some people in these forums that are smarter and know the markets better than hedge fund managers and people that work in Wall Street um you know is shorting GameStop a a, a good idea um honestly yeah i would say it is at this point it probably is it's it's going to end up returning down to the bottom uh, as long as you have the capital it, um it require is required to borrow the shares then yeah probably shorting GameStop is a good idea um you know it's essentially like a modern day blockbuster uh, physical stores are kind of going away in the world of online downloads and everything like that. The the short honestly is a good choice. You know, but never underestimate the internet, meme culture, and people sitting at home with really not nothing else to do than to research stocks, play on the internet and create memes. Honestly, you know, none of this really makes any sense. So, you know, at this point I think that some of the people don't really care if the stock falls down to $20 a share. They're here for the ride. Uh, they're staying in in it and they don't care about losing the money because the common man is always the one that's left holding the bag, you know, and, and Scott's right on that. The common man will be the one holding the bag. Um, you know, that's how it's been. And that's how it's going to be from here. Uh, it is true that there are a lot of these people that do not understand the markets and, you know, They'll be the one, they'll be the last ones that end up getting out of this trade. Out of all the people um, that I've heard in, in the news, they do have that fair point of you know, the retail investor, the little guy, they're going to be the ones that are left holding the bag once all this is done. So, um, I want to play a couple extra clips here. Uh, I got one right now, uh, for it's Jim Kramer, and he's talking to um, somebody on CNBC. About market manipulation and whether or not this fits into a market manipulation
4: forum. What Wall Street Bets, which is really driving this, what they've done, that's a site on Reddit, what they've done is target large short positions. Now, they have not targeted small, short positions. GameStop was 148% short. They went after uh, Best Buy this morning because that's 67% short. They're obviously—by uh, the, uh, the way, BlackBerry's not. They just happen to, they happen to be a big favorite. Palantir, we don't know where they're doing. But I'm not, I actually think, uh, Herb, that they're smarter than we think. They're after the ones that are too shorted. No short selling is not dead. But they're very smart about what to target wait a minute what you just said target so here's my question how is it
5: that they can target and that's legal and if there
4: was in the old days a bear raid that was illegal when does this become manipulation jim it's such a tough question because remember what's manipulation how about if an analyst came out right now and said i think gamestop is going to 250 Would we give that person a pass? Yes, because of the First Amendment. No, no, listen to me. It's First Amendment protection versus the idea of a group getting together to bust the shorts. But if the group is not a real group, it's just a lot of people who love it, it's going to be very hard for the U.S. attorney to do anything, Herb. What is it? The SEC. They're not... What kind of case do they have? We like the stock. We like the stock. I mean, that's... That's the game Ryan Cohen got so, in. He bought 15% It's $8. He's on the board. We like the stock. How is that bad? Or do you think that they're concentrated and doing some sort of manipulation if they say they like the stock? Well, I don't know if
5: they're concentrated because I don't have subpoena power and I can't really go well, out and look at it. Well, that's always
3: I can I, I I <laughs>
5: argue I don't even know if there are foreign powers that work here behind <laughs> the scenes stop? trying to make chaos up our
3: markets. Let me ask you I this, Jim, because I think Mike Santoli
0: that's absolutely ridiculous i don't know even know if there's foreign powers at risk at, at work here what do you anytime something happens that you don't like what is it the russians did it did you just bring the russians in let's get out of here with this guy this guy's an idiot he's just i just talking to stupid anyway um you yeah, know jim kramer so anyway jim kramer on there he's talking about this you know right? is it market manipulation right are they targeting everything right and honestly i agree with him it's It is, I would say, that it's protected by the First Amendment. What kind of case would you be able to say, right? I mean, if you bought into something because the stock was moving up, I mean, that happens, right? If an analyst comes out and says, hey, I give a new price target to Tesla, right, and then people pour in, is that market manipulation or not, right? Are we we doing any research into seeing anything like that? What about Congress? Congress is Congress? Are they going to? Are we going to do anything to those three um, senators or whoever the hell it was that was uh, what appeared to be, um, you know, insider trading? Right. I mean, is any of that manipulation? It, you know, honestly, I, I don't, I don't agree with that. Uh, short sellers, right? Um, I showed a clip earlier from Andrew Left talking about his position, why he believes that. GameStop is not worth $325 a share, right? Is that market manipulation? Is it, you know, none of this stuff. Is anybody talking about it manipulation? Um, so, you know, I don't think you can. I don't think you can make the case that, the, that, you know, from an, for an analyst standpoint, that they manipulate the market. I don't think you can make the case of a short seller manipulating the market. I don't necessarily like these people when they come out and they say this kind of stuff because it does. It moves the market. And it, it causes issues. Now, when I was, you know, when I've invested in Tesla, and then people come out and they raise the price target for Tesla, I think it's awesome. But then when Jim Chanos comes out and he says, "Hey, um, I think that Tesla is a two dollar, two dollar a share stock," I mean, what does that? What does that do? Well, all he's trying to do was push this, push the stock price down. And then what ends up happening is, is that the stock price goes higher. Uh, I don't, you know, what if a short seller comes out and and releases a short, uh, their idea that the uh, position is short, so that they can push the stock price lower to then buy in, right? Is that manipulation? Um, I, honestly, these are questions that need to be asked, I guess, but it is. I think it's protected by the First Amendment. And then you obviously, like I said before, you get this guy talking about foreign powers and, and everything. It's absolutely ridiculous to bring up something like that, which is the reason why Jim Cramer f- waved his hand at him. He's like, get the hell out of here. You know, I don't even know why you would bring up something like that. That's stupid. Um, so anyway, uh, I got another clip here. It's This is the CEO of the NASDAQ giving her two cents on, uh, I guess it would be regulation and, and what's going on.
5: You are benefiting... From the interest, the retail interest in investing, and, and where I'm going with this is, is, uh, is GameStop, some of the other things that that we're seeing in in, in di- different areas of the market, whether it's IPO uh, speculation as well, uh, some of these uh, new issues that have doubled or tripled right after coming public. You are there to uh, to benefit from that, but is it healthy, Adina? What do, what do you? What's your feeling on what we're seeing right now?
6: Well, we definitely have seen a significant increase in retail participation in the markets throughout the year, both in equities and in options. I think that when we look at... The role of the exchanges. Our role is to match the buyers and sellers and to provide a a proper and accurate reflection of supply and demand in a stock or an option at any given period. I think when we look at our larger role as a self-regulatory organization, we also really do focus on making sure that the activity in the market is legitimate activity and that that if there is any sort of manipulation going on, that we root it out and we uh, eliminate it from the market. So that is a that is also part of our role. I think when it comes to some of the the, the, the latest activities that we've seen, um, I'm not going to comment on any particular listings, particularly those that are not listed on our exchange. But I think that in general, when we evaluate how we would manage through a situation where you see a significant run-up in a stock that's not based on news, that's not based on fundamentals, what we do is we do have technology that evaluates um, social media chatter and if we see a significant rise in the chatter on social media channels, and then we also match that up against unusual trading activity, we will potentially halt that stock to allow ourselves to investigate the situation, to be able to engage with the company, and to give investors a chance to recalibrate their positions. And then if we do think or, or uh, contemplate that there may be some manipulation, we then engage with FINRA and the SEC to evaluate and investigate that.
5: I'm just wondering what you would propose if you were a regulator at this point. So, and you mentioned social media and the way these some of these things get started. So you've got a, and once again, GameStop, GME. It may not be listed with you, but you have someone on Reddit on this popular site saying, I'm not selling until it gets to at least a 1,000, a 1,000 plus. So we know what the what the underlying business of GameStop is. So how would you describe that how what would you suggest is, would be a, a uh, action that uh, that someone that uh, a regulator that might think uh, that, that this has gotten out of hand. What what would you do? What would you suggest happens well, here?
6: Well, I think first I would give some advice to investors that if you think it's too good to be true it likely is <laughs> so I think that also focusing on fundamentals and at least understanding the underpinnings of a company's performance as you're making an investment decision I think is also an important element of, of what an investor um, should be considering as they're making their decisions in the markets but then at the same time you are correct that regulators also have to consider the latest technology that's being used um, to to uh, spread information about companies and you know there is something called a pump and dump scheme that has been um, a level, a type of manipulation that's occurred in the markets for a long time. But the fact is, that's a key um, element of manipulation that we try to root out and then we we do uh, collaborate with FINRA and the SEC to, to identify, evaluate, and investigate pump and dump schemes. The question is whether or not this social media activity qualifies in that regard or whether the regulators kind of have to catch up with the technology that's now available. So those are the types of things that I think that we'll all be evaluating um, as we go forward, but recognizing also that it is important for investors to educate themselves to make sure that they understand the nature of the markets and to focus in on the fundamentals of the of the stocks that they're choosing to invest in
0: in my opinion uh, that's disgusting right I don't know if you noticed and paid attention to the fact that that guy seemed to be fidgeting around in his chair the whole time you know he's having a hard time getting his word out and he seems like he's a bit nervous and worried Um, so maybe I don't know maybe he's uh, maybe he's short GameStop Um, I don't know. But anyway, uh, I think it's, I think it's ridiculous that they're, they're talking about adding extra regulation. Oh, uh, you know, now that, now that new technology is available and everything and we're getting fucking smoked in the market. um, Oh, I guess we're going to, we're going to have to regulate and see what happens, see how we can uh, keep people, keep these, you know, keep these degenerates down, uh, down where they belong and, and, you know, and not taking advantage of us. I I think that's absolutely, absolutely disgusting. I got another clip here. Uh, This is the, uh, Massachusetts State Secretary of the Commonwealth or something like that. And he's talking about uh, more regulation as well.
4: Bring in William Galvin, he is Secretary of the Commonwealth of Massachusetts, uh, calling for a 30-day cooling off period for some of these names. Secretary Galvin, so, so go into why you believe that we need to maybe just put a hold on GameStop and some others.
7: Well, first of all, it's a great risk to many of the unsophisticated investors who are investing in it whatever their basis is. I've talked to some of these people. I think we've all recognized that the current pandemic has created a unique situation where many people have gotten into day trading, really have no idea exactly what they're doing. It's something that they're trying to figure their way as they go. These types of entities uh, such as GameStop have created a a really difficult situation for these people. They think they're missing out if they don't make a bet on them. Uh, They don't really understand what they're doing. I think small time investors like that, unsophisticated investors, are going to be hurt by this. Moreover, I think it really is a risk to the broader market. The point that was just made about the structural issue, the systemic issue of the shorting that's going on when you have this excess interest in a stock beyond what the issue is, that has to be addressed. It has to be addressed immediately because that represents a risk Why? to the overall market. Well, because it creates uncertainty in the marketplace. You know, the dot com bubble of 1999, I was a regulator then also, came about because of a and lot I, of uncertainty. And I, and I in the interviewed market. you,
4: Mr. Secretary. at <laughs> well, that it says a lot about both of so I guess.
7: But my, my d- point d- is I don't is know is if it's good, it's good or not, a risk. But, but the point, yeah, go ahead. It's a risk to the marketplace. Uh, the marketplace should be a place where risk is taken, but not reckless risk and not a situation that undermines the entire system. And that's what we're looking at here. Uh, this is irrational. As was just noted, the, the moves in these stocks, both up and down, are, in GameStop, I'm speaking of specifically, is irrational. It makes absolutely no sense. It has no basis in reality. That is not what you want in a capital market. Well, they shouldn't. Uh, And that's why, at at this point, we have a new administration coming in, and hopefully the the national regulator will take action. I believe they will. But in the short run, I think it's certainly within the power of of the marketplace itself, in this case, to suspend suspend it. They shouldn't be providing a forum for this type of activity, because it's dangerous not only to the investors, but it's dangerous to the marketplace.
0: So, yeah. Yeah. Guy calls for a 30-day cooling-off period. You know, claims that it's a, a risk to the unsophisticated investors, right? And and he's not wrong, but he's still using the term unsophisticated, right? Some of these guys are not not unsophisticated. Some of these guys know what the hell they're doing, right? Now the. Other, you know, two examples right there. Uh, absolutely, in my opinion, disgusting, right? Oh, we got a new new administration coming in. Uh, yeah, the guy who got a shit ton of money from Wall Street is probably going to throw some regulation on this. Hopefully, he doesn't, but I don't know. I'm, I'm fairly certain that there was a bunch of people that donated to um, Joe Biden's campaign that were from Wall Street. A lot of big money, throwing money at uh, at, at the, 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 the Democratic president. So... Um, you know, here's the deal. Uh, many of these people shouldn't be in these stocks. You know, this guy's not wrong. Most of these people aren't wrong. N- none of this makes any sense, right? And they and they say it. They, oh, no, this makes any sense. But at the end of the day, that's the reason why it doesn't make any, it doesn't make any sense. It's running up because people are trying to get in. You know, and if they lose all their money, it's gonna hurt. Um, but here in a pandemic, with the government shutting down their jobs and not allowing people to get back to work. Yeah, you know, honestly, how much worse can it get for the, for a lot of these people? They're trying to make a little bit of cash on the side. They're trying to do something. They're going to risk the the money, the, the little money that they do have, and w- what's going to happen? What are they they They're going to go back to having no money? Okay, we already we started there, right? Everybody started there, so yeah. At the end of the day, you, you pause everything and, and help uh, help settle things out, right? And help settle things out so that the rich people can figure out what to do with their money so that they can unleverage themselves and basically mitigate all of their risk and leave the little guy left holding the bag, right? That's what's going to end up happening. Honestly, I say, let us play. Let us figure out what the hell it is that we want to do with this. Trying to fix the health of the market, even although you've been taking advantage of it for years now. Right. They shouldn't be doing that. This is this is disgusting. And to be pushing for extra regulation now that you're getting fucking smoked in the market is disgusting to me. And uh, now uh, here I got one more clip of uh, Andrew left talking about his way forward with Citron research.
1: Now, after 20 years, we noticed something where we started. Citron was to be against the establishment. We've actually become the establishment. And we've done this whole thing without ever hiding from lawsuits, without ever hiding behind a pseudonym. But it's completely now lost its focus. So as of today, Citron Research will no longer be publishing what can be considered as short-selling reports.
0: Now, I personally... I, I, I got nothing against Andrew left. I actually commend him for doing what he does, right? He comes out and he talks about stuff. I've played three clips of him talking about things, right? He comes out and he says, this is the reason why I'm short this. And then he comes out and he says, Hey, I got screwed. Uh, I was the wrong end of this trade sucks to meet sucks to be me. Um, I closed my position out, lost 100%, and now he comes out and he says, all right, well, this is the way forward. All right, I, got, I, got, I got respect for, for somebody that can, they can come out and they can admit when they were wrong. Obviously, he is frustrated because he lost money on this deal, but I, can, I have some respect for the things that Andrew Andrew Left does uh, because you know, he does good research, and you know, obviously to this point, he has done a very good job making money. With stocks going down. Now, with all that being said, um, honestly, uh, I I don't know if this is you know, if moving forward from here, if this is something that's going to happen with a lot of different things. Obviously, right now we have a lot of people who are jumping into it because they see these huge price movements. But I'm curious to know if the only maybe the only reason that this is happening. With GameStop is because it's millennials seeing something that is part of their childhood being targeted so heavily by what are considered boomers. So that's I think that's something to to think about in, in all of this. Um, maybe maybe this won't happen uh, with other things in the future, or maybe this is a uh, a new change in the way that the market works. So. Anyway, uh, yeah, I I didn't I don't really want to talk too much about uh, Robinhood today regarding the the cutting off of people's ability to trade uh, certain securities. Um, I know that that's been a, a pretty contentious uh, topic over the last few days. Um, I still think that it was really odd in what they did, and you know I'm gonna leave that alone because honestly I think that they had no choice in the matter with uh, what had happened. And with the pausing of trading, uh, the same goes for the other guys as well. Uh, anybody who paused trading, I, honestly, I don't think it was them. They're just the middle guy in between being told that they had to. Uh, there's Honestly, there's a lot more larger factors at play in the, in the market. And, and many of us don't understand those things, right? They talk about clearing houses and they talk about all that other stuff. So there are defi- there are definitely different things at play with this. I think the questions need to be asked as to why they couldn't handle this amount of, of volume, uh, that they weren't, maybe they weren't set up for this. Um, obviously, they never thought anything like this was going to end up happening. But there, there definitely needs to be, I think, an investigation into why, uh, you know, clearinghouses or brokerage firms or whatever it was that made the calls, there needs, needs to be an investigation as to why they did it. But I don't necessarily know if there would be anything illegal with what they did. Now, with all of that being said, I do think a lot of these Robin Hood traders do operate on margin, right? And, and margin is basically when you're trading using the brokerage's money, you're essentially trading with someone else's money. Uh, the margin requirement can be different for different brokers. It depends on what they, I guess, put out there. Um, and it allows you to leverage your money so that you have more money in your account to trade with. So if you have $2,000, and I think 2000 is the limit for uh, Robinhood. So if you have $2,000 in your account, um, you can actually borrow an extra $2,000 to let you trade up to $4,000. So what I think happened it, with Robinhood is um you know then why they didn't have much of a choice with what they did is you know since stocks only go up and you can borrow money because um you're going to make money right that's that's what people are thinking right stocks only go up you can make money i'm going to borrow money and everything is going to go up but stocks don't only go up right when they fall there's this thing called and especially if you're buying on margin There's a thing called a margin call or a a cash call or something like that in which the broker tells you that you need to either add money to your account or they will force sell your position to protect them to protect themselves right because if you take a position of four thousand dollars right you have two thousand dollars you borrow two thousand dollars you take a position and and all of a sudden in three days it goes to zero or two days it goes to zero right? Then you basically, you can't sell that for anything. Then you end up having to come up with the money to pay the brokerage back. So what they do is they do this cash call or the margin call where they're, where they force you essentially to either add cash to your account or they sell your position to protect themselves. So I think that's probably what ended up happening here. Um, and one of the things to keep in mind is since a lot of people are operating, Um, And opening uh, these Robinhood accounts and adding money to their account in the same day, especially with all this FOMO that was happening. Um, I think that they were technically using Robinhood's money when they were doing this. And, you know, it takes time for all that stuff to clear. Um, and since people had, had, had purchased the, like, stuff like GME and AMC with Robinhood's money and the stocks were falling, they got these margin calls, these cash calls, and because people couldn't add money to their account or anything like that, Robinhood was forced to sell those positions. So I, I don't know. I could be wrong. I think that's probably what ended up happening. But I think that they could have done a much better job at explaining that. Right. the the worst thing about all this is that most of the people that were out there on social media were not thinking about any of this stuff. Um, and honestly, I think that made it worse. Uh, lack of knowledge can really, really hurt you in in the finance game. Um, you know, I'm not saying that I'm on the side of the brokerage firms pausing trading and, and force selling people's uh, positions because uh, you know I'm not. But I am saying that I if that's the reason why, I can definitely understand. Why they ended up did it, doing it? Um, if they had come out and explained everything like this to to all this stuff to people, explained exactly and kind of broken it down, I think it probably would have made things a lot better, right? So remember, these commission-free trading apps um, have added millions of users in the past years. In the past year, I think Robinhood added like three million or something like that last last year in 2020, and many of those users haven't had the time or honestly, probably the the know-how to even make sense of everything that's going on. Now, personally, I ended up having, an, not an issue, but a couple of years ago, I, I got into this idea that I was gonna do some day trading, and I didn't realize the way things worked, so I, I think I had about $30,000 in my account at the time, and pretty much, I'd say, 25,000 of it was taken up by... Um, positions that I'd been holding, just holding for years and years and years. So what I did was I was like, I want to do some day trading. So what I ended up, I I started to buy and sell and buy and sell. And then I was like, I was trying to figure out why I couldn't buy anything. So I ended up having a call E-Trade and they explained it to me that I had to wait a couple of days for certain trades to clear And I felt like an idiot. So then I did some research and I was like, huh, I can do this margin account and margin allows me to just continuously buy and sell and buy and sell and buy and sell daily, right? Without having to wait for anything to clear. And I did did that. I, I applied, had my account swapped over to a margin account, and then all of a sudden, a whole bunch of stuff swapped up, right? I had about 30,000. So I think, I want to say that they allowed me to use, to use $60,000 worth of leverage to buy things. And I started to get worried because I started to see, I started to see a lot of negatives in my account. And I I did get a message that said, hey, you have a uh, margin call. I think it was a cash call. So I ended up calling E-Trade and I was like, what the hell is this? And they were like, oh yeah, this is this and this is this. So I looked it up online. Um, My stupidity, I bought into a, um, marijuana company and, you know, I was an idiot. I didn't know what the hell I was doing. And I bought this marijuana company and the, and the stock went down and I felt really stupid with it, but I got this, I got this cash call and I called and I was like, what the hell's going on? You know, I, cause I didn't buy or sell anything once I got the margin thing. Um, I was just trying to wait and see what happened. I eventually swapped back over to a cash account. Cause I was like, none of this shit makes any sense to me. And I got really, really worried that I was going to end up having to, you know, put a bunch of money. Cause I had all of my money into, uh, into that account. I, you know, minus like a little bit of savings. So everything was sitting in that account and, uh, yeah, it was pretty tough. So, you know, margin is definitely something for everybody needs to uh, take the opportunity to, to, to research and look up and figure out what the hell it is that you're doing, because, you know, you can, you can end up getting, uh, getting kind of screwed when, when you're doing this. So, uh, with all that being said, I, I you know, I do think that the brokers should have prepared for a situation like this. You can't just change the rules mid game. Um, there are, no timeouts in the stock market. Uh, and I'm going to use a football example here. Uh, honestly, and this is like my opinion is like kind of analogy. Um, you know, basically the retail investors were absolutely crushing the hedge funds in like a two minute offense. Right. The And they're running quick plays and they caught the defense off guard. They got all the wrong players in. They got a whole bunch of guys that, you know, aren't, aren't good. Right. So you got all these the wrong players in. And then what ends up happening is one of the hedge fund players fakes an injury because they don't have any more timeouts. Right, and what that does is that allows you. That allows that allows you to kind of take a break, regroup. It allows you to catch your breath. You go over to the sideline. You get some water, something like that. Right, and I think that's essentially what ended up happening. Um, you know, you get somebody who falls down, and says, "Oh, I'm hurt now." Right, and you're getting absolutely smoked. You don't have any timeouts left. You're getting crushed, and you fake an injury so that you can do that. Right, you can't change players or anything like that, but you can kill the momentum and you can take a break. Right, and another aspect of this is that the retail investors don't have access to pre-market and post-market trading, right? And that's something to also think about. That you know, you can only like I can only buy typically. I can only buy between the hours of 9:30 and 4 o'clock, right? So when they started cutting people's ability to trade and cutting people's ability to do anything, that ended up causing a lot of problems, and it allowed the allowed these hedge funds and these large these big money people to use the post-market hours to end up trying to fix and manage their risk because they obviously didn't do that prior to all this. You know, and and that's why I think this is absolutely disgusting uh, that people are suggesting that we take a break and pause the market and to allow these people to adjust their portfolios and manage the risk. I I think that that's absolutely ridiculous. Uh, They should have instituted proper risk management to begin with, proper leverage, right? You can't just over leverage yourself, right? Like I said the other day, you, there's people on Wall Street bets that post all the time. There's four, there's like a group of forums that are losses. There's a group that are gains, but there's also a group of losses, um, you know, and, and people do, they post their losses, like $20,000, $30,000. The guy, deep fucking value, he lost like on Wednesday or Thursday, when no one was allowed to trade, the guy lost like $15 million out of his account. Granted, He went from seven hundred thousand, I think, to fifty-six million, to then down to like twenty million, and now he's back up really high. But it's just something to, to to pay attention to and think of, right? Proper risk management, proper leverage, all that kind of stuff. You can't just pause the market. You can't just do this stuff. It it screams corruption. Now, the last point I wanted to talk about was. This SEC, right? Everybody's calling for uh, a pause, this extra regulation, all this kind of stuff. Obviously, it's the people that are getting fucking smoked in the market. And, you know, something to think about, right? The SEC. What is the SEC, right? It is an independent federal government regulatory agency responsible for protecting investors, maintaining fair and orderly functioning of the security markets, and facilitating capital formation, right? People are calling for, um, the SEC to investigate what had happened. Uh, you know, the people that work at the SEC are different than the ones that were a couple of years ago, right back in the early two thousands and everything like that. But this is the same government agency that was unable to catch Bernie Madoff. Um, and if you don't know who Bernie Madoff is, he is the guy that or- orchestrated the world's largest Ponzi scheme in history, right? He stole roughly $65 billion dollars and the way he did that essentially was he offered a modest return, nothing crazy. Uh, I think it was like 10% or 10 or 12 or something like that. It wasn't very high. If it had been too high, people would have probably caught him. If it was too low, nobody would have wanted to, wanted to invest with him. And people trusted him, and he had trusted that. You know, honestly, I'd say, I'd say go, go take a look at his story, uh, look at how he did everything. He essentially stole all of this money, and he never made a single trade. Um, you know, all of his statements, everything that he gave to people was fake, right? And I think anybody who was making good money with him probably just looked past that. And, you know, they never really called into question what was going on because, well, they were making money. Um, so anyway, I, I don't think there was very many people that even got in trouble for what had happened to him either. Um, which I find it hard to believe that he operated a 65 billion dollar Ponzi scheme and, like him and I think a handful of other people are the only ones that got caught. So anyway, uh, so the SEC did not catch Bernie Bernie Madoff. Now, with that being said, the SEC was actually told about him by this guy named Harry Markopoulos. Um I think he's he lives somewhere up in like Massachusetts or something like that, and he's a mathematician or something. And they actually he actually told them multiple times, not just once, multiple times. You know, and my whole point to this is the fact that the SEC, um, you know, people are looking to the SEC to investigate this when the Bernie Madoff was handed to them on a silver platter and they couldn't catch him, you know. And what about this situation makes you think that there's going to be anything different about these people, you know, possibly anybody on Wall Street scheming for any of this? So, it's just, yeah. You know, I don't think the SEC is going to be able to do anything to fix this situation or anything like that. I don't think they're, maybe they are, maybe they won't. Maybe there's so many eyes on this, but even that, Bernie Madoff was $65 billion. There's just a ton of eyes on that. I think what you're going to see is the SEC will be forced to do this, forced to do something, um, because... There are so many eyes and so many people involved in this, so many small retail investors that there's going to be so much pressure from the American people and, and everybody to, to force their hand at something. So moving forward uh, from here, I think that there are going to be more short squeezes as time goes uh, for the, maybe the next few months uh, you know, uh, realistically, the large hedge, fund, hedge funds are not going to publish the fact that they're short on a particular stock since they're getting absolutely blitzed with these deals right now. Um, you know, and I, I, and I think it will change the way that people invest their money. Um, maybe a little respect will thrown to, be thrown to the little guy um, doing the legit research and their due diligence on these Wall Street bets boards. Now, with that being said, Wall Street Bets went from I think 2.3 million users a couple of days ago to like seven and a half million. So, Wall Street Bets is going to be an absolute shit show over the next couple of weeks uh, and probably months, and most likely they're going to end up having to find a new place to collective to be to be a collective and actually talk about legitimate investment opportunities. Um, so in closing, the events of this past week are going to force big money into taking a hard look at the little guy. Uh, I think that they realize that we are going to be a lot more powerful in numbers. Uh, Wall Street, um, you know, they're basically the grasshoppers in a bug's life, right? They used to force us to do everything and be the guys running the show, but then uh, you know the ants realized that if we just gang up in numbers, we can take them on. So moving forward, I think that there are going to be some changes. Um, they will change the way that they do things. And I actually think that it's hilarious that there have been articles written in the past week explaining terms like tendies and diamond hands. Um, you know, if you don't, if you don't know what those are, uh, go look them up. It's actually pretty funny. Um, but I think that that shows you the disconnect between old money on Wall Street and the retail, retail investors buying based on meme culture and, and all that kind of stuff. You know, they, they don't realize that fundamentals don't necessarily matter. Sometimes it is just about buying the momentum and crushing you know, these rich people. At this point, that's what it's about, crushing the rich guys, crushing the hedge funds, Uh, What, Melvin Capital lost 57% or something like that? Uh, That's what was released from what I saw in the Wall Street Journal. Um, You know, I don't want GameStop to go away. Uh, I personally, I have some nostalgic memories uh, about going to to GameStop and other small game stores like that. You know, when I was a kid, I used to go in there and buy, uh, you know, the used games and everything like that. I was having to buy like last year's Madden or two years ago's Madden because I didn't have enough money to buy the new ones, right? $60 game. I didn't have enough money to do that. So, you know, buying your, buying your actual system and all that kind of stuff, like that stuff is what GameStop is going to be for. Um, and hopefully uh, GameStop doesn't actually go away. Uh, today I'm in a, a much better position to be able to buy, go and buy new games, but I still like to buy some of those older games and play some of that stuff. Um, you know, I realize that it's likely that the stock price will return to something reasonable. Uh, $325 is not reasonable at this point. Um, Maybe in a couple of years, maybe later on or something like that, but $325 today, uh, as of January 31st, uh, 2021, uh, $325 is definitely not a reasonable stock price for GameStop. Um, You know, I hope that there are not a lot of people out there left holding uh, the empty bag uh, and that got caught up in this hype. I have a feeling that that's what's going to end up happening. Um, I do think that this next week is going to be pretty crazy with this. Um, I feel like there's a lot of people that are going to continue to go that don't believe that places like Melvin Capital uh, closed out their position. I, I do believe that there are some people out there that do not think that the the short interest is, is gone. Um, I want to say as of Thursday or Friday, the short interest was still extremely high in this stuff. So I think people are going to continue to hold and they're going to continue to buy and everything. If you go to Wall Street Bets, everybody keeps a uh, Putting rockets and everything like there uh, on on their uh, on their posts and everything like that. So um, we'll see what happens this coming week. I think it's going to be a pretty crazy week uh, again with the stock market, and uh, we'll see if there's uh, any more pauses to um, everything that's happening. So in light of the events this week, I think I actually might take a trip over to the local GameStop and uh, make a purchase. Um, we'll see. Uh, so it's it's snowing here where I'm at, so uh, I don't know if that's going to happen, but. I might uh, might take the risk and get in my car, maybe help uh, help GameStop stay around for a little bit longer. So that's all I have for today, and uh, be sure to like, share, comment, and subscribe.